oh, you're going to be on Good Morning America. Oh, you're going to be hosting. You're going to be hosting with Regis someday. And you're going to... So I was always chasing and climbing, trying to get there to prove to myself, but also to everyone else, like, oh, yeah, I am doing this. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. No matter what you do or where you are in your life right now, I'm pretty sure you've heard the word no more than once. And some of those no's might make you feel like you don't want to get out of bed. This podcast is here to tell you, you're not alone. If all these people can walk through the valley of no's to get to their yes, why can't you? Welcome. Hello. Uh, If you're new, thank you for joining us. These episodes come out every Friday. You could subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. That's best to get them immediately. Um, Leave a review if you like it. Spread the word. That's greatly appreciated. Um, Today, I got into it with Maria Sansone. Kind of a cool story, kind of a hybrid because we did a little bit of origin story and we also had some kind of expert advice on uh, some social media stuff at the end. At age 11, Maria became the youngest reporter in the history of network television. At least that's what they called her. I don't know if that is fact. Um, But she soon found herself interviewing people like Michael Jordan when most kids her age had yet to hit puberty, which is nuts to me. Um, And then that kind of put a strain on her adolescent years. And so she actually left the business through high school. And then junior year of college, she won a nationwide search to guest host with Regis Philbin on live with Regis and Kelly. And her career was reignited. And that eventually led to a longstanding gig co-hosting Good Day LA. And of course, we have to have some hiccups. It's called 10,000 No's. So she got pregnant and she shifted into motherhood. And that led her to search to build a business that could have her earn a living and also have time with her kids. And um, she ends up leaving tons of clues for the rest of us on how she's begun to build a successful brand on social media. I had a great time talking to her, Maria Sansone. I want people to hear this story because it's, it's so unique how you were, I guess, really discovered it's one of those stories that you were 11 years old. Can you tell us that story <laughs> that you told me? Yes. I will try to, it's, there's so much to it. So I'll try to give the somewhat abbreviated version, but um, I've lived like nine lives in this industry because my career really started in television when I was 11 years old. And I didn't mean for it to happen. I didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be on television or I want to be a sports reporter or anything. It just completely is one of those things that fell into my lap. And when opportunity sort of knocked, I guess I was ready for it in a way. Um, And then learned to capitalize on it and keep the ball rolling throughout my whole career. But how it happened was I was at a uh, local basketball game with my grandparents. In Erie, Pennsylvania? In Erie, Pennsylvania. I'm a huge fan. Um, Well, I was a big basketball fan and I was a basketball player, even though I'm five foot one, five (laughs) foot nothing, a hundred and nothing. Um, Back then I was even tinier. But um, Yeah, so I played basketball, loved basketball. So we went to every local basketball game. And uh, at the halftime, at halftime, they would do a slam dunk contest. 
And every week I'd be like, I want to get in on this. I want to get in on this. And they would never pick me. You had to, it was a raffle or something. Was it on a 10 foot rim? No. So they lowered the rim. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, really? Okay. I don't know if there was like a trampoline. (laughs) Anyway, go on. Sorry. (laughs) Cause you told me this and I'm like, you're like, wait, trying to put it together. Logistically, how do you actually slam dunk that ball? So what they would do is they would lower the rim at halftime and they'd pick two boys and two girls from the crowd. And I got chosen And I, you know, because I had seen this every week, like I was going over in my head what I would do had I ever got this, have I, what if I ever got this opportunity? So when the day finally came, I just hammed it up, like totally crushed it. Like the boys went and they, you know, real timid and dribbled the ball. They had no type of skills, right? And then here comes little tiny me, you know, 11 years old, just puny. And I come out there and I take the ball and I put it around my back and through my legs and I'm dribbling like, you know, Michael Jordan. And then I slam the ball and I hang on the rim, tongue out. And then I start running around the the court and I'm like, what? You know, trying to get people to cheer. They went bananas. You know, it was just hysterical because again, this was something that happened every week. Everyone kind of just probably got sick of it after a while. And then here's this little kid riding around like a a maniac. Um, So there was a local reporter there and he was like, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. So, you know, he was shooting the game anyway. And so he's like, hey, can I interview you about, you know, winning the slam dunk contest? I said, sure. And uh, we get to talking and then we kind of go a little deeper. And I'm like, I come here every week with my grandparents and, you know, the team's okay this year ever since they got new coaching staff. They're not as great as they used to be. And, you know, their defense could be a little. And he's like, oh, my God, what what is happening here? He was he says just sort of blown away at how articulate I was for just this little tiny girl and my knowledge of sports um, at that time. And so he went back to the station and told the general manager, like, this may sound crazy, but this girl needs to be on the news somehow. We've got to find something for her. And apparently the GM was like, yeah, that is crazy. And this is the night. This is the early 90s. This is before a gazillion cable channels and before all this stuff. Um, So they came up with a, a segment for me called Down to Size with Maria Sansone. And it aired three times a week on the real news. So it wasn't a kid's program. It was, you know, on the regular news, I would pop in with my little segment. And the idea was I would interview kids, like, you know, locally who were involved in sports to try to get them involved in news and get excited about watching the news. But then it snowballed into something completely different. And I was able to score interviews with big celebrities and I mean in the sports world and give us one because one of them you told me I was jaw dropped Michael Jordan yeah yes that's crazy you were 11 or 12 11 11 11. it all happened really fast yeah it all happened really fast so um and where I lived in Erie Pennsylvania let me let me cut you off because I want to get I want to get underneath it a little bit because you have two, I mean, you know, you look, I look at your bio and I go, there's too many things for us to get to in an hour. Totally. And, and so I'm And I'm a talker, so you're going to so, have to tell me where to go. <laughs> like, hang on a second. No, what I want to get into is like what in that period, it just, you know, propelled you. You didn't plan it, Mm-mm. although you were prepared. What, how do you think if you were coaching someone who is listening 
How did you just go with it? And how did you not get intimidated by someone like Michael Jordan, who's the, you know, the king? I mean, he is like the, <laughs> like, did you, were you just so naive that you, you didn't realize what you were doing? Um, I wasn't naive. I was very aware of, of this, you know, how like sort of high the stakes were and, you know, who these people were and all that, but I didn't care. And that was sort of the key. Um, if it all went away, I would have been totally fine. It's very different as an adult when you're trying to support your family and this is your career and and all that. As a kid, I didn't care if it went away. I would just go back to sixth grade playing Barbies and playing basketball and life would be just fine. Um, but I was aware of how really didn't major it was. I really didn't yeah, care. There was lesson. times that I wanted to just like hang it up because it, it did feel like it got overwhelming. And um, at, in that same year, I was a guest on The Tonight Show. And that's a perfect example of I if you see me on that show, I could give zero Fs, you know, I, and that's what made it funny and cute. But my parents were in the green room like. Oh my God, is she going to, because I, it was almost like they didn't think I was going to take it seriously because I was just so nonchalant about everything. Um, but then I would go out there and I would turn it up. But like I said, if it all ended, it didn't matter. So if you're playing, you know, a game and you don't care if you lose, you're just going out to have fun. So it was a very different world back then. So what did that come from? Was that just in your DNA? Um, were your parents like that? Was Were you just, you think, born that way? You really didn't care? What do you think it was? Like, well, no, because as I got older, I did care and yeah. I do care. And um, but as a kid. That? How have you managed that as you've gotten older yeah. and you need to, you know, keep the lights on, as we say, right. you know, what, how have you, like, what are some techniques you have to to keep that kind of sense of play? Well, it comes with age and experience. And, you know, even though I was pretty, you know, uh, grown up for an 11 year old and all that, I was still a kid. I was still a kid. Yeah. And, you know, there was an opportunity I remember to, it was a lot of money looking back. I mean, today I would jump at this opportunity. Uh, it was an opportunity to go to St. Louis and I was going to do like a book tour type thing and they were going to pay me a whole bunch of money. But it was at the same time of my friend Emily's birthday party that weekend. And I'm like, I can't go do this. And my parents are like, this is a lot of money. We're talking about like, you know, this could put you to through school maybe for a semester or half. A, like this is a And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I want to go to the birthday party. So I just, I still was a kid. Um, I I turned down Oprah. I had an opportunity to be on Oprah. Like, wow. how many people do you think have actually done that? At I 11, don't know. At 11? I, this was at 13 yeah. because I was ready to take a break from the business and I wanted my parents to, to take me seriously. And I was, I was already booked on the Oprah show. She was doing something on Extraordinary Kids and I was already booked. And they said, if you back out of this, that that's on you. You have to call the Oprah show. You have to call the producers yourself. 
And again, I'm still a 13 year old kid. So even though I was on national TV and had just been a guest on the Tonight Show and all that, I still was afraid to pick up the phone and even order a pizza. I mean, you're still, there's still a kid. And I remember I got the, you know, the cordless phone and I went upstairs and I called the producers from the Oprah show and said, I I can't make it because it was the last day of eighth grade. I was going to miss my last day of eighth grade. And that's when you pack up your desk and you pack up. I mean, it it may sound silly now, but at the time that was major. Well, it's actually one of the themes that I'm interested in on this show, which is the things that look so great from the outside, when you start to scratch the surface and you sit down with someone, yeah. you realize, okay, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes yes. into every one of those special things or, you know, those opportunities, we call them. But you're kind of putting your finger on it that, mm-hmm. yeah, here you are a kid and it's really cool and it's nice to sit and talk about it here, however many <clears throat> years later. But at the time, you're like, yeah, oh, all yeah. my classmates are there. That actually, that's another question I have is like, was there jealousy or envy or like, did people not like you as a result of oh, it? Yeah. And was, and what was that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I come from a small town. So I was the girl on TV that became my identity. When things started picking up, I mean, as great as it was, there was some real dark sides to that all. And you know, it's tough being a kid anyway. It's tough growing up. And then it's tough in the 11, 12, 13. I mean, those are tough years. And I was bullied. You know, I couldn't go to outside of my my little school where those were my people. And I had been going to school, this private Catholic school since I was in kindergarten. I felt safe there. But outside of that, when things started opening up and we'd have mixers and you'd have dances with other schools, these kids were nasty to me mainly because they didn't know me and I was the girl on TV. And why does she get to do that? I want to do that. You know, just typical kid stuff. But that was hard on me. And I was always a toughie. So I always, you know, I I never let it really affect me on the outside. But inside it was it was really hard. I always felt like I had to be that much nicer and go out of my way because people already assumed something about me. They assumed that I was stuck up or that I was whatever. So I had to go out of my way to be super nice to everybody to let them know like, Hey, I'm just like you. I just want to, you know, um, basketball, I go back to basketball. Uh, if you really wanted to excel in my town, you had to go to camp and play, you know, like club leagues and all that. And I didn't really want to mess with other people. I didn't want to get involved with people from other schools and go to these camps because I was afraid I'd get beat up or bullied or, you know, what have you. So I would like go to camp during the day. All the kids would sleep there and I'd have my parents pick me up at night because I didn't want to yeah. So that was, yeah, you're, it was I hard. Mean, it doesn't, you know, no one thinks it at the beginning when they first hear this and, and you're listening to this conversation, but you are an outsider, really. You're, you're an outsider amongst kids because yeah. you're the only one that does this certain thing. The certain thing. And, and the whole town knew about it. And even the parents were kind of nasty, because they were like, why can't my kid be doing this? It's I want my kid to have a turn. And it just didn't, it, that kind of wasn't how it was set up. It just kind of took off. Of it, well, because I'm in this business and I, and I have kids and I think like, 
man, I mean, when my kids say they want to act, I'm always like, okay, let's do a play locally, you know, which yeah. they just did this year. And it was great, you know, but, um, and, and ironically, and yeah, well, I wouldn't even say it, who was in the audience, but in, the, <laughs> oh, in no. this town, yeah, it's like only around in LA, do yeah. you have, you know, literally Steven Spielberg was in the audience. <laughs> really? Yeah, literally. Yeah. Second row with a camcorder. It's so funny. And you know no, this, because- but- they didn't know they until didn't after know. the play. And, and again, they, like me, they probably wouldn't really care. <laughs> they would, but but they do know that name. So they, yeah, you they know, were like, they, okay. My son was like, what? Kind of cool. No, seriously. Yeah. yeah. So it was like his, you know, his grandson was no in, big. in the play. And, it, and it's, um, which, which is funny, but I'm always thinking like, God, as a parent, you know, you don't, it's tough to have your kid have to grow up earlier yeah. than they have to grow up, you yeah. know? And so I'm sure that was a lot of responsibility on your... It matured me for sure. Yeah. And I was already kind of mature because I was an only child for the majority of my life. My my um, my brother is almost 12 years younger than me. So, you know, I was always amongst adults and yeah. that whole thing. And there was times where, like I, I kept saying, like things just happened fast and it just snowballed within like nine or, you know nine months or a year that even my parents got really wrapped up in all of this because yeah. to them, you know, this is real money and these are real opportunity. And we're talking about Oprah and Jay Leno and right. uh, the, t- you know, good morning America and David Letterman. And like to them, this is so major that they got a little wrapped up and I can't blame them. Yeah. It was exciting. But to me, I was like, hold on guys. Like let's put the brakes on here a little bit. I'm still in school. I've so got- tell me about that. You go, you get through high school, you go to Syracuse, they have a great broadcasting program. Yes. But what was that like between 13 and 17? Were you out of it? Did you Pretty pull yourself much. out of so it? So I explained that whole calling Oprah. That was sort of a humongous turning point in my life. So up in, from 11 to 13, for two years, we were... Yeah, I was still full-time in school, but we were traveling a lot. I was making appearances and doing different things. And I was down to size was where it all started locally. But I was almost doing more press than I was doing work. Yeah. It just, I explain it in these terms. It was like this whole thing went viral before viral yeah. was a thing. Um, so I was running around doing all these things for a couple of years and then working locally and all that. And then I kept saying, I'm done. I have high school coming up and I, I did want to throw myself into basketball because I knew if I wanted to make the high school team, I had to, and I had to just go full throttle into that. And, and I wanted to, you know, go into high school is not the girl on TV, probably. Were you able to? Because it seems like in this situation, once the cat's out of the well, bag, well, the cat was gonna, out of the bag. What are you going to do? So I, I mean, kind of had to know. do like a grassroots effort to go and meet everybody and to start going to the camps and start, you know, and yeah. once people got to know me, they're like, she's cool. Um, but there was that whole thing. So the, the Oprah moment for me was me putting my foot down in a major way. It had to be big. Cause I kept saying, I'm done, I'm done. And then they'd say, well, it's just this one thing. Well, it's, you know, this one's for charity and this, well, well, this is the thing. It's just a bowling thing. To, and it was just, it just wouldn't stop. So Oprah was like, listen, I'm in charge. I'm not doing it. And they were like, oh, she means business. This is over. And that was, that was it. So between 13, uh, so you're just about to go to high school then. So I went to high school. I, you know, worked my ass off. I made the high school basketball team, which was very competitive. And I'm still, again, (laughs) 5'1". 
Um, and had a pretty normal high school life, like got in, met all these new people and did it all. You know, I played golf. I played basketball. I was on student council. I just had the total normal high school life. Yeah. Then it came time to talk about college. And I was like, well, what what am I going to do here? Do I want to go down that path? Um, nothing else was really, you know, singing to me as far as professionally what I wanted to do. And back when I was on the tonight show, I got a letter from Syracuse university. They sent a letter to my school that said, you know, I know it's a ways off because that's when I was 11. I know it's a ways off, but when you start thinking about college, um, we'd love to have you at Syracuse. We have a great program, yada, yada, yada. So I remembered that all those years. And so when it came time to apply to colleges, I applied to one. (laughs) And of course, my parents couldn't find that letter. We had no idea if that person was still there. My grades were good, but not great. There was a decent chance that I wasn't going to get in. And I put all of my eggs in that basket. And I got in. (laughs) Thank goodness. Um. I don't know what life would have been like had it not. I mean, like I had no backup plan. And that's also been a uh, a runner in my life. There's no plan B with me. It's all or nothing. And I think if you have a plan B in this business, you'll take it. There's no safety net. <laughs> yeah. And so then I went to Syracuse and then other opportunities presented themselves and we kept on rolling. So tell me about that. At some point, and there are a lot of things that happened in the Syracuse years, but at one point you were a guest host on the uh, live with Regis and Kelly. Was that just a one yes. day thing that or was, was that like a- That was one day that totally changed the course of my life again. Yeah. In a good way, in a great way, in a way where I was 20 years old by then. So going into Syracuse- um, for the first time in my life, I was anonymous. It was great. So I get to Syracuse and I'm not the girl on TV at all. I'm just Maria from Erie, Pennsylvania and met my husband on move-in day. <laughs> and, uh, of course I didn't know that at the time, but, um, yeah, just like having a blast, loving college. I'm, I'm taking the, the communications, you know, classes and, uh, ended up majoring in television, radio, and film. So I was like, I have an interest in this, you know, I'm not going to be a doctor, you know, so I might as well sort of pursue this, but I was more interested in behind the scenes. Cause I didn't, I honestly didn't think at that time that I was going to be in front of the camera anymore. I wasn't sure. I kind of thought I was maybe a novelty act, you know, I was a kid that was cool, but do I really have it? I don't know. Didn't know. So then cut to junior year of college, and um, it was Kelly Ripa's first year on uh, Regis and Kelly. And if you remember, she got pregnant right away. And so they wanted people to fill in for her, but I think they didn't want anyone to fill in for her. They had gone through so many changes after Kathy Lee left. So they just wanted, you know, people who wouldn't be threatening that just could kind of pop in and fill in. Yeah. And so they did a search for a college student to fill in for her. And it was back in the day where this was a very new thing that they let people vote online. So my dad called me. I was in my sorority house and he's like, listen, they're doing this contest. They're looking for a college student to be on 
with Regis. You got to send a tape in. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wait till the last day deadline and I go out and I do some man on the street interview thing and a couple little standups and package it together and, and send it to them. And I guess they say they got 10,000 tapes and they narrowed it down to five and I was one of them. And so they aired all the tapes, tapes. I'm dating myself. Yeah, VHS. <laughs> it was an actual VHS, which I still have. Um, and they put it on and they let the viewers decide and I got chosen. And so now it's the summer uh, going into junior year. I'm 20 years old. I am on Reg- with Regis for one hour on live national TV. Not that I hadn't done that before, but that was a different lifetime. Yeah. That was, I mean, well, that was, that's my question. It was is, an eternity ago. And now here I am, I'm grown up. So how did you deal with it compared to the, I like, almost threw ga- up. Right. Okay. So the game thing was the harder The game to do. had changed. Yeah. The H- game had changed. Harder to not care when you're 20. Because I cared. <laughs> mm. And because I cared when the car picked me up, I had a very unusual feeling. Normally when I'm on TV, it's, oh, whatever. And I I go and I just razzle dazzle. And that was it. The car picked me up and I had this very unusual feeling in my stomach. I'm like, are those butterflies? Okay. And then the butterflies turned into full on nausea. And I thought I almost had to ask the driver to pull over. I thought I was going to vomit. And, but that's not me. I'm always like cool, calm and collected, especially in the TV world. And that's what had always, that's what what people would say about me. She's so poised and nothing razzles her. And now you felt you lost your special Oh, I lost it. It's over. I mean, I I can bear, I'm going to throw up on live TV. And I got there, I kind of calmed down and, you know, they're doing my hair and the whole thing and makeup and... I got out there and as soon as the lights went on and there's a live studio audience, ugh, which is amazing. And I went out and I, I said something off the cuff and they laughed so hard and I got my first taste. I, comedians call it like chasing the dragon. It's like yeah. taking drugs for the first time and you want that same high again. Yeah. I'm still chasing that feeling of that day. That is like the dream show. For me, because it's a little bit of everything. Um, But yeah, I went out, I got a laugh, I had a great time. And that's why it was a life changing moment for me. I realized that day I was it was very validating for me because I said, I'm not the girl from TV anymore. I'm just a 20 year old adult like everybody else who went out there and crushed it. And so I'm not a novelty act. This was this is the real deal. And I called my agent. I still had an agent from, I guess, the old days. And I was in New York, obviously, for the show. And I called him up. I'm like, let's get together. I think we need to, I think we need to do this thing. Yeah. I'm gonna graduate in a year. Like, let's go. So where does that come from? That I mean. I have it too because I, I'm doing this, and on some level, there's, I, I can fully understand that chasing the dragon. Yeah. Um, where for you? Where does that come from? Is there something um, like what is it? I feel like uh, the guy in Jerry Maguire who makes everybody cry. But what, what is it like? Where does that come from inside? Is there something like you feel like you're, you know? 
Do you know who that guy is? That's Roy Firestone. Oh, that's Roy Firestone. And he was on Good Day LA all the time and became like a good friend. Anyway, don't make me cry, Roy. Don't make me cry, Roy. Don't make me cry, Roy. Where does that where does that come from? Like, do you feel like if you're not out there, you know, slaying it in front of an audience, does it feel kind of like what am I doing with my life? It's empty. It's it's I think for me. It was more basic, like, I really enjoy making people laugh and entertaining people. And so, you know, I've had to dig deep and think about what I want. I mean, television is very broad. And I mean, to even call it television is sort of narrow-minded at this point. Broadcasting, there's all these different platforms and levels. What is it about broadcasting that I love? Because I've done reporting. I've done hard news. I've done entertainment. I've done shows. I've done talk shows. It's like, which part of that really makes me tick? And the sort of common thread I found through all of it is those those sparkly moments, those moments where you've made a connection, you've made someone smile, you've made them go, ah, you know, that sort of what I do it for. So whatever that looks like next, I'm not sure. And why I like that, I mean, I think there's a, everyone wants to make people smile and wants to make a connection. Um, but to hear a crowd like erupt into laughter for me is, you know, everything. Yeah. So maybe yeah. I'm in the wrong, maybe I should have been a comedian if that's what I'm after. <laughs> I don't know. I think I would have no, been a I don't, crappy I don't comedian know. though. I don't know what the answer, I'm um, just wondering, I'm always interested in like what goes, what's behind what's driving. Someone, yeah. You know? So there's that. And I also think, you know, we all have to work for a living and I feel like I'm really a lucky one because what I do is fun in nature. And if it's, you know, I always say, no offense to accountants or, you know, but I'm always like, this This is the business that I have chosen is fun. And so it should always be. I mean, if it's not, then I need to move along because I am the lucky one that, that, that I got into a business that is a good time. Yeah. It should yeah. be. And I think, well, I, I kind of feel like, and especially from talking to people on this show that are in all different fields, that... The accountant that's that's really good at what they do, mm-hmm. that, that's they find that in their field right. and they would look at you and be like, no, no way. way. They look at me and, and and they have valid points because there are good and bad yeah, you're right. things to everything. You know, you got to hustle what, in, in our business. You got to you got to. It's what makes hustle. you tick and, and then, what and you then find there's something, fun. Yeah, I would I would venture to say that a great accountant finds the challenge in the numbers and the, there's like a certain symmetry mm-hmm. or there's a certain magic that happens when they're grappling with, you know, a balance sheet or whatever right. it may be that's way more complex To me, that. that would be my personal hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like math, yeah. any of it. It's just, but it's, it's, you're right. It's what makes you tick. Yeah. And it's, and then it's finding a way to create a career around that if you're so lucky. Yeah. And to try and make some money doing that. And yeah, but it's, what's really behind that? I don't know. Yeah. But I was always that person. Even when I was a kid, I was holding court and doing impressions. And for my, you know, like I said, I was an only child. So I was around grownups who were, by the way, a great audience who always laughed at me. So I don't know if I was that entertaining or not, but they just got such a kick out of me. So I got, I had a lot of confidence. Yeah. I had a a totally different um, kind of entry point because I was really, I was pretty shy as a kid. So it wasn't. 
it wasn't until later, I think, that I discovered that kind of, yeah. you know, that uh, I feel like it was just a lot later than you. And I think you really, um, it's rare to be, like when you say it was you were 20 years old and you felt the butterflies, I'm like, oh my God, welcome to the human race. Like, are you kidding me? You had no butterflies for 20 years? That's crazy to me. But that's just, that's that's how you're built. So I want to ask you about... Um, you you did um, the the morning news show Good Day LA mm-hmm. on Fox Eleven with Steve Edwards. Yes, um, and that was like a great run as yeah. a, right. And then yeah. just because you know, if you're okay talking about it, it's ten thousand no's, and I know that that's something you're you know you're not doing anymore. And I don't know if you want to talk about like how things have have evolved for you in the recent years and where you are in your head and how you're, I, I feel like you're in, a, you know, I've met you in kind of a, uh, maybe like a, a rebirth or reinvention totally. stage of, of totally. your life, which is pretty exciting because, but, but it sounds like you have plans and I'd just love to hear yeah. about them. Well, when I was thinking about doing this podcast, I was like, this is, it's a good thing we were sitting on a couch because this is therapy for me. Yeah. And I was thinking driving over here, like, Maria, you better get your story straight because- Truly, I am in a very in-between point in my life. My whole life, sort of, I had direction and I kind of knew where I was headed. And I'm one of those people that show me what I, you know, if I get an idea in my head, I'll get it. Like, I'll be damned if I don't. I will find a way. I manifest it. I just make it happen. I'm at a period right now where I'm not sure what I want next. So for the first time in my life, I'm not sure the steps to get to where I need to go because I'm not exactly sure what I want. Um, The game has changed a little bit. I have two little kids. I have a four-year-old daughter. I have a nine-month-old son. And the career is still super important, but it's not everything. For pretty much my whole life, it was everything. And I felt if I didn't achieve a certain level, then I would have been a failure mainly because I started so young. So people who I didn't even know had expectations from me to achieve a certain level. Oh, you're going to be on Good Morning America. Oh, you're going to be hosting. You're going to be hosting with Regis someday. And you're going to... So I was always chasing and climbing, trying to get there to prove to myself, but also to everyone else, like, oh, yeah, I am doing this. And uh, so I've had a lot of success in life. And I I don't want to say I'm content with where I've gotten because I'm not, but having kids has changed the chase and the climb and what I'm willing to do to get where I'm going. And now I have a more realistic um, picture of what being at the absolute top of my game would look like and not sure if that's exactly where I want to be anymore because I don't know that that would be able, that that would be conducive to a family life. Yeah. So I'm kind of at this in-between where, um, you know, I was doing 20 hours of live TV a week about a year and a half ago. Um, When I was four months pregnant, I left the show, not by choice. It was just sort of the end of my road there. And it's, I don't know really how much I can say about it all other than it just came as a total shock to me. Yeah. And um, because I really gave it my all, I I loved it there. I was I was happy. We um, 
you know, but it's a ratings game. It's it's all ratings game, and there were things that weren't working, and now the show's completely different. Um, but now, you know, adrenaline, right? So 20 hours of live TV a week, and now I'm essentially a stay-at-home mom. What do you do with that energy? How do you harness that creative energy? Luckily, there's social media. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It is like, it's the highs and lows. I don't, I hate it. I love it. Yeah. I couldn't live without it. I wish I could live without it. Um, so I'm sort of harnessing all of this creative energy into these other platforms that we're lucky to have in the downtime of life. Yeah. So I'm creating little shows on Instagram and I'm creating content every single day. And it's not what I'm used to traditionally, but I'm also learning to go with the flow here. And what started out seeming like a side hustle is now the hustle. I mean, it's, it's all of it. If you're not in the social game, as Gary Vaynerchuk was saying, <laughs> I mean, you're invisible. So I was kind of running things separately. Like I have my agent, um, what I was considering looking at the um, traditional media route for me, you know, a traditional, I'm guessing, you know, regular job kind of on traditional media. And then I was running this sort of side hustle with the social. And then I went to New York recently and I met with everyone. I met with every network, all these jobs that I always thought were the, the jobs. And guess what they wanted to talk about? Your social media. Social media. Yeah. What are you doing on Instagram? What's that little show you're doing? What's that real news thing you do? That's neat. How do you do that? How many people watch that? How do you know who you're hitting? I mean, and I felt like an expert. I mean, this is this is stuff that they're not it's all the wild wild west. Well, we're all figuring it out together. Speak about that a little bit because it's something that I got into with a recent guest who um is in the fitness world, way up there in the fitness world. And we got into a conversation about his uh, strategy for social media because he's uh, really, really very present on it, very good with it, has a big following. Um, what is, when you say you feel like an expert, how did you learn it? Is it, it's all just self-taught trial and error? Did you go to no, somebody? No, I shouldn't who, say that because I feel as much as I know about it now because I'm learning it, the rules keep changing every single day. I don't feel I felt like an expert in those particular meetings. Right. Because this is traditional media I'm talking about, right. you know, television news. But you shows. still feel like you have a lot to So learn. I felt like I had a lot to offer. So They're looking at me as if I was an expert. Right. You know, but um I have a lot to learn for sure. Well, where are you getting your how are you learning? Or is it just by going so, on and looking at other people's accounts? Are you speaking to people? Are you seeking people out to? So, yeah, a, a combination of everything. So using it, being a user on the platform to see what other people are doing, um, to see what works, what doesn't, to see how I like to consume things, right? Um, but then there's um, the immediate feedback, which is amazing because in all my years that I've been doing this, you don't connect with viewers in the way you can connect here. I get immediate feedback. I'll put up a little something on my Instagram stories. Um, like I've been experimenting with this little franchise, I call it, uh, Real News, where I find these kind of random news stories and I talk about them. Sometimes I take a side or – and immediately I'm getting DMs about what I just said. 
And if they like this, you know, put like five stories up at a time and one always seems to get more direct messages than the other. So I'm starting to learn. I take all of that and I put it in, you know, I put it somewhere and I realize, okay, my audience actually was really into that male birth control story. They really loved that. And I have a lot of male followers and a lot of female followers. I know exactly what the demo is. And so I'm tr always trying to find the sweet spot that's kind of the intersection where, and the story like that was perfect. Male birth control. The women were like, hell no, guys will never take that. And the guys were like, yeah, right, this is crazy. So that was something that tapped into everyone. But then I use that information for how I create content moving forward. If so something's like a the, flop. You're like a one woman Netflix. That's what they do. They is know that what, what they, they do? Yeah, they yeah. Have, they're known for having incredibly specific metrics on who's watching what. And yep. if you watched one show and you clicked to a different show, they know, they know. you went from this show to that yeah. show. And, and I then can they... see where they drop off. I can see which stories they sort of drop off on. Um, I'm experimenting every single day. Yesterday, I got this weirdo facial where they put like a cheesecloth over my face. And I thought the guys will be bugged out by this because it's not, you know, they want to see pretty and they want to see, you know, even the interesting news stories. But me with a cheesecloth on my face looking not gross, I just didn't know. And so it was a total experiment. And I got lots of direct messages. The, the women wanted to know what is this and why does your skin look so glowy? And the guys kind of thought it was funny, you know, so that was an experiment. And it, and it worked um, and it surprised you. Yeah, but like you said, with Netflix, it's like, yeah, so I'm getting immediate feedback on what works and what doesn't. And then I am sort of catering to them based on what they like. And I do feel in many ways I'm a one-man, you know, in, in TV we used to call it a one-man band when you'd bring your own equipment and yeah. you'd shoot. And now I feel like a one-man brand yeah. where this whole thing, I look at, and I maybe I'm wrong in all this. I don't know. Like I said, we're all just figuring this out. But I look at social media as my network. And I look at these little baby franchises I have on there as my shows and my programming. And so I'm always experimenting with different ones and I'm trying to get some that are more consistent. And I don't even know what the goal in it is, except right now it's just good content and I'm visible and I'm out there. Um, maybe down the road, someone would check it out and go, wow, we could do something with this if we had a little bit of money yeah. and we put a little effort, you know, more, more manpower, not effort, because I put a lot of effort, um, but some more manpower in it. Like if I had another set of hands, yeah. <laughs> you well, know, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad I'm asking you about this because your approach is very much like uh, some other guests that I've had on the show who are extremely successful on bigger platforms. You know, uh, I'm just, Mark Duplass is coming to mind and, mm -hmm. and he kind of talks about reverse engineering um, his uh, his content and his films. You know, what, what does the market need and then how do I pour my art into it? Yeah. And as I hear you, I'm just thinking of myself on social media, even with this podcast. Like I have, I now have an intern who's helping and creating these, what I think are really cool videos. Yeah for the upcoming episodes. But I don't know that I've seen as much of a response to these videos as yes. I would think. And I really like them, but it's kind of like, well, who cares? Because sometimes I'm walking and I'll do a walking selfie and yes. it gets a bunch of views. And I'm like, what? Meanwhile, the other one needed to be edited and yeah. polished and you probably put a little money into it. And that's exactly where I'm at right now. Right. And so so I need- The more to, effort yeah. sometimes- the Yeah, I have this, I'm like a little, I mean, I'm, I'm much more evolved than I used to be, but I'm kind of locked into that- old school 
I think, thought process, which yeah. is like, this is something that's that's pristine and it's something that's, yes. it's something that's, you know, worthy and I've put work into it. And it's like, nobody, you know, nobody really cares. Nobody cares. They just, they, you, you know, they, I don't know. It's, it's like, I, I we gotta, might've talked about this the first time when we met, but I every day have to t- tell myself to underproduce because I come from an old school world of things are, I'm polished. That was always the thing about me. You know, she's a one take wonder. She can do it and she's polished and never makes a mistake. And now you don't want that. And even on live TV, I was almost, as time went on, I realized like, turn down the polish. Like people, the reason people like live TV is because you might make a mistake and then what would happen, you know? Yeah. So that whole idea of being perfect Absolutely not, especially on social media. No filter, raw. Um, the things that I have produced on social media and put some effort into so far haven't really resonated. Yeah. Um, I think people really just want, I mean, the people that follow you on social media, they're truly fans of you. And they just want get inside, you know, your head as much as possible. It doesn't matter if it's got a bow on top or not. They just, the rawer, the better. Yeah. And, and that's the, and it, yeah, ironically that, uh, you know, from the outset for me with this podcast, that was the goal was Make it raw. professional. No, no, no. Right? It was actually, I want raw conversations. That's why I chose not to edit a them. A raw conversation. You know, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want it to be too sound bite and I don't want to be yeah. edited. And I, I do like some podcasts that are very edited and, and smoother, but I was like, I don't want to be that. Yeah. And yet- there are things about the production of it when, you know, you get feedback. I just got feedback from someone who uh, is in a position to really help the podcast out and was kind of giving me some notes. And one of the notes was kind of like, you know, making it more raw. And I'm like, wait, that was my whole thing in the beginning. But then there's almost like, right. you want, you're like, yeah, I want to make it raw, but I want to make it want professional. But I also want it to feel, and, and, yeah. yeah. And, so I'm, there's and a, there's I'm still a, at that place. There, there, is a, there is a line, you know, it's like, I, I don't, I want to deliver something that, that is thoughtful and something that is, uh, there's care taken. And yet, yes. you know, it's also what do people want? Right. What, what, what are they going right. to, you know, what are they going to listen to? And so to? even the things I put up that are raw, are still thoughtful is a great word because it's like almost too much. I mean, everything I do is strategic. I don't just throw stuff up out there. I pretty much have a, a little bit of a plan because that's just my brain. I, I just sort of work like a producer and always I'll, I'll walk into a situation and see the story. Like I did this morning when I came in, you know, I got out of the car and I said, I'm about to do my first podcast. And in the drive over, I'm thinking like, what would this look like as a story, you know? And, or now it's an Instagram story, but in the old days, it was a story for the news or whatever it was, but it's the same approach. Like, how do you tell this story? The story of my day being on a podcast for the first time. Um, So I'm always thinking about that. When I got here, I was able to grab from you what I needed. I was already in my checklist in my brain. So let me, let me ask you, um, before we wind down, I want to ask you, how do you, uh, remove the self-consciousness to do something like that. That's something I struggle with. I'm, I'm imagining it's something that people, if, if someone's listening to this, some people are just listening to hear the, the, the conversations. And I think some people are listening because they're going, well, how can I 
use some of this information sure. for my own business or my own whatever it is that they're doing. They're actors, they're, they're yeah. filmmakers, whatever. Um, entrepreneurs. How do you put it in your head so that it's not something where you're self-conscious about pulling out a phone, doing this self-video? I mean, I feel like a total jackass <laughs> when I pull out the phone. And I'm like, if I'm, and I've gotten, I've gotten more bold with it recently. Yeah. To, to walk down the street and be like, hey guys, so blah blah blah, I and know. it's just like, what? A, you know, how you know, do you do the it? Only you- the only answer is practice. And eventually, because, you know, back to Good Day, like Steve, oh my gosh, when we first started doing all this social stuff and we'd be doing, I mean, he thought we were insane. He would just make fun of us at every moment with all this. And before long, guess who was doing it? He He was was because he realized he had to, you got to jump on this train or just forget it. So the other thing that, um, that could probably break a lot of people out of um, just throw them into it is live. You can broadcast live. I've never done that. I was going to do it today, but then I was like, well, I can't go live on the podcast because then it ruins the excitement of the podcast. But I was thinking maybe after or something, just popping on and uh, saying what I had just done. I thrive in live experiences. So I love it. I think for a lot of people that would be their biggest fear is yeah. to put yourself out there live. Um, but I discovered on Facebook that you could do that very early on. When they rolled out Facebook Live, they rolled it out to people in the news business first because they knew we wouldn't miss or assumed, hoped we wouldn't misuse it. And then over time, they started putting it out onto everybody. Everyone had access to it. So all of a sudden, one day, I'm getting ready to do the news. And I'm like, wait a second, there's a button here that says live. Hold up. (laughs) So I just pushed it and I saw people responding like, hi. Oh, I see you. Oh, hi. And I'm like, holy cow, I can go live. Oh my God. I I can go live. I am so so slow to this that I've never done Facebook live, Instagram live. I've seen friends do it. Yeah. I get somewhat the, you know, the concept, but I kind of didn't really get the concept. Yes. So, so once you do it, it's then, it then lives somewhere. See, right? so on Facebook live, it does live there. And that, I love that because as we were saying, we come from a little bit of old school. You want to have something in a package that you can, I like, you know, if I'm going to put the work in and do the live, it's nice that it lives there. And that if someone says, Hey, what have you been up to? I can say, well, I just did this really great cooking segment in my kitchen with my kids live and 25,000 people watched and you can see it. Here's the link on Instagram live. You can't do that. And so I like Instagram but, live, but it goes somewhere. Cause I've seen it on for Instagram 24 live. hours. Oh, okay. And then it goes away. And then it's gone. Got it. So I guess that's kind of cool. But I like it for professional reasons to have an archive of what I've done. So Facebook Live has always been really good to me. And I built a, a nice audience because once I discovered I had that tool, I went live every morning before the news show. And I called it morning no, hashtag morning no filter. And it was just me without the makeup, you know, either sitting in the makeup chair or sitting at my desk running through stories and telling people what was going to be on the news that day. But inevitably, it would turn into some other kind of crazy nonsense where, you know, someone would come over to my desk with something. It just, you know, I was running around, forgot my shoes. I was always just like running around like a crazy person trying to get to set. So 
it was the every making of a perfect show. There was a deadline. I had to be somewhere at a certain time. I was always chasing the clock, but also giving people information about the stories I was about to talk about. I wanted to read through them anyway. So they were kind of a sounding board. Got to get a feel for how people were feeling about these stories because yeah. I was getting immediate feedback. Um, it was so interesting. I Actually, a uh, reporter from the USA Today came to the station and, and wrote a story about it because he thought it was so innovative. And, you know, before long, everyone I work with started utilizing Facebook Live and it became almost like a competition. Huh. It was crazy. I'm going to have to, um, so that's, I'm going to have to, well, listen, folks, I'm going to, this is maybe going to be my inspiration to give this thing a shot. I've never done it. And yes. I, I think it's, um, yeah, it sounds, it sounds scary. It sounds like a really a d- direct line. I'd love to do it. I mean, it, you should are, just fire it up while you're doing this, but then, <laughs> yeah. you know, you lose the excitement of it, of you waiting to air it. To, yeah. Like I would have loved to to done this whole well, thing. We'll do something after. We'll let do me, something let after. me before we. I Since wanna, I was a podcast virgin, you're the live. I'm you know? the live virgin. <laughs> yeah. Well, let, why don't you before we go? Um, first of all, thank you for being here. Thank so, you. So many great uh, topics we. We've I feel covered. like I, I owe and, you money because you're like the therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the couch. I'm talking about you know growing up. And life coaching with life Matthew coach. Uh, okay, so what? What, where can people find you um, if if they heard and they want to follow some of the social media we've been talking about? Where can they find you? So you can find me at Maria Sansone on all the platforms. And um, I'm on Instagram every single day doing crazy stuff. Um, I'm, I try to go live once every couple weeks. Um, I'm still doing a lot on Facebook. That's where I, I like to play around because I said I have a good audience there. So okay. Facebook live, I do cooking in my kitchen. I do some, you know, I talk about, like I said, real news where I'll kind of riff on some of the stuff happening out there. Okay, um, cool. Well, yeah. listen, guys, go go follow her. It's Maria Sansone. So it's M-A-R-I-A-S-A-N-S-O-N-E. On all platforms, thank you so thank much you. for being here. All right, guys, thanks for listening to yet another episode. Uh, my conversation with Maria, you know, I'm thinking about the takeaway and probably the thing that blew me away the most is how she was not nervous when she was, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old and she's interviewing Michael Jordan. And then it wasn't until... She was uh, going to do the the thing with Regis that she kind of freaked out. And, and I really, I mean, you hear me say it in the interview. I'm like, really? Like, welcome to the human race. This is, that is most people's experience is that they get nervous leading up to something big. And Maria did not. Now, I don't know. And I still, after talking to her, don't know, is that just in her DNA? Is it because she was an only child and her parents said great things to her and she was the, the one child around adults and and she had a lot of confidence. Is it that she was so in her own element because she loved sports, so she was really comfortable with the subject matter? I'm not sure. Maybe it's a combo, but I think the lesson for the rest of us is if why not? have that attitude of, yeah, I can do anything. Like, why wouldn't I be able to talk to Michael Jordan? I know for myself, there are so many times when my own critic in my head will really kind of sabotage me and I will underperform to what my talent is because I'm listening to 
those negative voices in my head. And it's, it's not good. And I feel like I've gotten better with it, with age and with training and with being aware of it. But, you know, just ask yourself as you're, as you're listening right now, where are you on the spectrum of letting your own, you know, negative thought patterns or, or self-criticism kind of keep you back from doing everything you can do. And it was really interesting talking to her because she had such a pinnacle at such a an early age and then kind of went through this dip and then came back up. And now she's kind of in a, a reinvention stage, I think. And um, even after we cut, she kind of showed me Instagram Live and all this, which I had never done. Um, and as I'm recording this right now, I've still never done since then. But you can see that she's kind of figuring out what's next, what's next. And she's really uh, trying to move forward, which I really admire. Um, but anyway, that that was my takeaway. Thank you for listening. Um, if you're not already subscribed on iTunes or Spotify, please do so. If you like these episodes, you like this podcast, uh, tell people about 10,000 No's. We would really appreciate it. Spread the word really along with entertaining people and hopefully giving you conversations with interesting people who have had interesting journeys and how they got there, Um, trying to really inspire people and encourage people if you're kind of at that point where you're stuck in whatever it is that you're doing. Just encourage you to to take the next step and realize you're, you're not the only person who has gone through the valley, you know, and uh, it might feel like you're in a valley right now, or it might feel like you have a cloud over your head, but uh, it's it's not going to be that way forever. But you do have to like get yourself up and, and, you know, keep taking steps. You can't just throw in the towel. So uh, hopefully you are liking that message. Hopefully you're liking these conversations and um, please keep listening and we will see you next Friday. Thanks again. <laughs>